Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. Consider this write-up I received the other day describing the unfortunate demise of a new internet-based currency named Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a virtual currency that has no intrinsic value. It is not money issued by any government. It is not paper and coin of the usual kind that we can spend in shops and that give us wealth and the ability to conduct commerce in our city. It exists in the ether, wherever the internet is. But people had begun to amass it and to use it to buy things over the internet. More and more people had started buying these bitcoins. They only existed on the internet. They were not in your wallet nor in your bank account, only on your computer. Then the system crashed. One of the largest traders and one of the places where many of the records of bitcoins held and their owners were recorded failed. It went belly up. It is rumored that hundreds of investors may have lost millions of dollars in value. Why would people place their money in something so intangible and unproven? Here's a bit of the recent write-up to which I have referred. The only thing giving Bitcoin value is the faith that people have in it, and now that faith has been shattered. This week, the most prominent Bitcoin exchange in the entire world Mount Gox totally collapsed. End of quote. What a shock that must have been for people who had invested. I read that some stood to lose almost a half a million dollars. And as the write-up said, it was only the faith that people had in the system. That misguided faith was what gave Bitcoin its value. Without such implicit faith, the exchange would not have had any value and no one would care to buy any of its nebulous money. I will mention another suspicion that I have, having read a bit more about the crash of this exchange and the possible crash of other similar exchanges of this internet currency. I strongly suspect that greed was a contributing element as well. The investor expected to make a killing, and some apparently did in the early days. Those that bought early and had the sense to cash out before this crash came, when they would have lost their investment of real money, they made out. Faith is a very compelling story, don't you think?
But the faith that was involved in the Bitcoin debacle was misguided faith. It was faith placed in an object, an idea, a promise to make more money and to have the convenience of buying things without having to risk your real money. The trouble is they still indirectly risked the real money and many have lost it all. In the world in which I live, faith is to be placed not in things or ideas or promises. Our faith is to be placed in a person, a real person, one whom we believe holds eternity in his hands, the one who created the world, the one who came to earth and died as our Savior. Our faith is not a blind faith in space or the ether. It is a faith placed in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. We trust him and rely on him as our Redeemer and our Lord. There is no risk of forfeiture or loss, no chance we will miss the boat. There is for us a treasure lied up in heaven and eternal life waiting for the appearing of our God for us. Yeah. 
Now with his message for today, here's Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee. Greetings to you in the name of our gloriously risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and a blessed resurrection day to you. May you experience the power of his resurrection today and always. We are looking at the significance of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the believer, as taught by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, chapters 6 and 7. He begins by explaining the necessity of knowing the significance of the death of Christ as it relates to the believer in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 6, in which he says that we share in Christ's death positionally because his death to sin and the power of sin is also our death to sin and the power of sin. Hear his words as he states this profound truth in verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Now, as I stated last time, this is a revolutionary statement if there ever was one. God regards the believer as being dead to the power of sin. It is impossible, therefore, the apostle argues, for a genuine believer in Christ to go on practicing sin in his or her life, not even if it were to magnify the grace of God. The two concepts are diametrically opposed to each other. God's grace, my friends, never allows or enables a person to go on living in a sinful state or practicing a sinful lifestyle. And Paul says the reason why this is so is because the genuine believer is actually dead to the influence, control, and power of sin in his life because of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. He applies this truth in verses 3 to 5. Hear the inspired words. Quote, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus has been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. End of quote. Notice carefully, please. Paul expects believers to know and apply this truth. He teaches that it is an essential part of our Christian experience. He says we should know this. We should live it out in our daily life as well. We should apply it, in other words. And he gives two explanations, or rather, he gives two illustrations to explain the point he is making. First, he says, we were baptized or united with Christ in his death. Paul uses the transliterated, not translated word, baptized to describe the act by which God introduces a believing sinner into a vital and essential union with Jesus Christ, thereby altering the sinner's condition and relationship with regard to his previous state and condition and placing him into a new environment, the same way a garment changes its appearance when it is put into a dye. It comes out an entirely different garment as far as its color and texture is concerned. Same way, the believer is placed into Christ and into the family of God. 
in this new state, condition, opposition, which Paul says the believer is baptized into, he takes on his own the death, burial, and resurrection experiences of Jesus Christ. Paul is teaching that the act by which the believer is placed into this new state and condition breaks all relationships and associations with the old sinful state and condition. We are what Christ is when it comes to our relationship to sin. And this all happens when we initially place our faith alone in Christ alone for our salvation. Paul says he wants us to know this truth. In fact, he says we should know this truth. And he wants us even to go further. He says we must know this truth. If we are going to be victorious over sin in our life as believers and to experience the true practical results of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we celebrate these days. But Paul gives another illustration to drive his point home. He says in verse 5 that we have planted together with Christ. That's the term used in the King James Version. The New American Standard Bible says, if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we will also be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. However, perhaps the best translation in context is that we were grafted into Christ. Because whereas the concept of being baptized into Christ presents the idea of being placed into a different environment and taking on the characteristics of that environment, the concept of being planted or grafted into a living plant gives the idea of sharing the very life and nature of the plant. In actuality, the graft becomes a part of the tree. Everything that is true of the tree is true of that which is grafted into it. What a beautiful picture this is. Friends, that's exactly what happens to the believer who places faith alone in Christ alone for salvation. We are grafted into Jesus Christ. We actually become a part of him as far as God is concerned. He sees us in Christ. When he died, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. When he was raised, we were raised. We share in those experiences and their results as much as Christ did and does. My friends, be reminded this passion season that Christ did not only die for us, he also died as us. And repeat that. Jesus did not only die for us, he also died as us. That's how he became our substitution for the penalty of our sin. Paul then moves on in this magnificently glorious passage to explain the reason for our death with Christ. And that was to free us from the power of the sinful nature inherited from Adam. Here again the inspired words of the apostle, speaking on behalf of God himself, verses 6 and 7, and I quote, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. End of quote. My friends, this passage must be understood in its context if we are going to understand the true biblical meaning of the old man or the old self. You see, Paul is now applying in the practical way what he has just taught in chapter 5 when he contrasted 
and compared Christ with Adam. The passage with which we began this series of messages. Please listen very carefully now. This is important for us to understand. The old man or old self is all that we were as a result of being born under the curse of Adam's sin. The new man or new self, on the other hand, is all that we are as a result of being baptized and grafted into the last Adam, Jesus Christ, when we place faith in him as our Savior. Paul says this old man was crucified when Christ was crucified. How? By our being baptized or grafted into Christ by the divine action of God himself. Now, from our perspective, this is retroactive. In other words, it happened in the past. But from God's point of view, it happened to us when it happened to Jesus Christ. Notice also, this is a past act. It is a finished transaction. We enter into the experience of this when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. But it actually happened to us when Jesus Christ died. Friends, listen. The old self has been crucified. It has been put to death. It's not shall be or must be crucified or put to death. You see, it is something that God did in Christ in the past, not something we must do to ourselves in the present or the future. Paul is insistent when he says that we must know this truth. We must understand it as a historical fact, something that actually happened in the past. It is as true as the fact that Christ died and was raised again. If we believe that as the basis for our salvation, then we must also believe that we died with him and was raised with him as the basis for our sanctification and victory over sin. Both spiritual realities are entered into by faith. Here in this passage, then, the old man or the old self is seen in his entirety. It's the whole person. That person, positionally speaking, has been crucified with Christ. However, Paul also refers to the ways or characteristics of the old man in two other biblical passages, specifically Ephesians 4.22 and Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9. These verses refer to what the Christian is to do in light of the fact that the old self has been crucified with Christ. Paul says we are to put off his characteristics and put on the characteristics of the new man. In other words, our practices, what we do, what characterizes us as believers, should be quite different from what we did and what characterizes us as sinners when we were under Adam's curse. That's exactly what Paul says is the reason for the crucifixion of the old man in verses 6 and 7. Listen to God speaking. Know this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. My friend, what a glorious truth this is. This is what Good Friday and Easter are all about for the believer. Victory over sin in daily life. I say again, hallelujah, what a risen Savior. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Selah, think 
and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every listening moment, moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. in a moment Jesus Christ could come again